Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the hub of Silicon Valley. I believe I'm either in Cupertino or Sunnyvale. I'm not 100% sure right now. The absolute epicenter of innovation, of forward thinking, and let's face it, money in this great country of America. Uh, I'm going to be up in the Silicon Valley for a little bit, so there won't be as many podcasts that will be recorded in the luxurious Sully Baseball Studios in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. But there will be a bunch of podcasts recorded up here as I'm spending some time up here for a various number of reasons. But uh, I'm going to be Silicon Valley based for a little bit here. So if you're in the Bay Area and, and you want to go catch a game or something like that, shoot me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is I don't reply. That's the worst thing that happened. Uh, there were some afternoon games. I'm recording this on Thursday, June 22nd, or 21st. Sorry. It is the, um, what is it? The, the summer solstice. Is that what it's called? Where there's the longest day of the year in terms of sunlight. Uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees have both won today. The Red Sox bombed the Twins. Got a very good performance out of Rick Porcello. Uh, the Yankees had another nail-biter against the Seattle Mariners, which they held on to win. There's something significant about those two victories and me recording it before the uh, well, the Astros don't play today. So the, it's something interesting when we go to tomorrow is that there are only three teams in baseball who are at this point of the season. We're about, let's say, uh, about 70 to 75 games into the season, depending on how many rainouts you have. The Yankees played 72. The Red Sox have played 76. Uh, the Astros have played 76. So all three, you know, we're, we're about that point. We're not quite at the halfway mark of the season. And yet the Red Sox, Yankees, and the Houston Astros all have 50 wins. The Astros got 50 wins last night. The Red Sox and the Yankees got their 50th wins tonight, or this afternoon, I, I should say. The only teams in baseball who have reached that number. No team in the National League. The highest win totals in the National League are 43 by the Brewers and the Braves. The Cubs have 42, and the closest total in the American League, Seattle is 46. So the Red Sox, Yankees, and Astros each have the highest win total. And all three of those teams are currently on a pace to win uh, 110 to 106 games in that general ballpark. This has been statistically, in terms of win-losses, the worst month the Red Sox have had all year. And if they played the entire season at this pace, they would still win over 90 games, which is right around what I thought they were going to. I thought they were going to be in the mid to low 90s in terms of their wins this year. Not in the, you know, not in the... 100 to 110 win territory, which the Red Sox I don't think have ever been in their team's history, at least not since 1946. So the Red Sox have been consistent all year. The Yankees got off to the sluggish start, but they've been playing outstanding baseball and, to their credit, have also been beating up on the good teams like Seattle. The Astros, I still think, are the team to beat. I'll just say it right now. The Red Sox and Yankees right now seem like the type of teams, and again, I'm, as I said, I'm contradicting myself a little bit because the Yankees have played and come back from behind to beat the, the Mariners, but 
the the Yankees strike me as a type of team that are going to win 100 to 105 games and wind up beating the snot out of teams like the Blue Jays, especially when they start trading away their players. The Orioles are going to go on a fire sale. The Rays are probably going to trade a bunch of their players. They're going to they're going to beat up on these bottom dwelling teams and boost up their win total. The Red Sox are going to do the same thing. The Red Sox may clear 100 wins as well. I think they're less likely to clear 100 wins than New York is, but I think they both have an excellent chance. And they strike me as the type of teams that will win 100 games and people will forget about the teams, kind of like some of those Atlanta Brave teams that won 100-some-odd games and then wound up losing the division series, or some of the Billy Bean Oakland teams. So there have been other teams that have been 100-win teams. You know, the, I bet you forgot the Houston Astros in 1998 were a 100-win team, and they're teams that have spectacular regular seasons and I think will fall short in the postseason. I do think that's going to be both the Yankees and the Red Sox. Now, one of them's going to have to play, if they both win 100 games, one of them's going to have to play a wild-card game where they'll play, at this point, they play Seattle. Might be Anaheim, but you know, right now, Seattle looks better than Anaheim or you know, Oakland or Christ, you know, any other possible contenders. The AL is pretty locked up right now. But I still, I, I, even though, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox are, are, have gotten so much attention and people saw the great start the Angels got on, they slowed down, people are marveling at the great run that Seattle has gone on, especially after the uh, suspension of Robinson Cano, there's, I've seen nothing that makes me think that it won't be the Houston Astros. The most telling thing about the Houston Astros and the kind of season they're having is, let's just take this one. On June 5th, the Seattle Mariners took a very unlikely two-game lead over the Houston Astros. The Astros were two games behind Seattle on the fifth day of June. Since then, the Astros have won 13 of their next 14 games. They don't seem to get the attention because they were the champions last year and there's so much desire by the press to have the Red Sox and Yankees rivalry reach a new height because I know the rest of the planet Earth hates to hear this, but the Red Sox and the Yankees make money for baseball. They do. You may not like that fact, but there are lots of Red Sox fans transplanted around the country, like your pal Sully. There's lots of Yankee fans transplanted around the country. And they stick by and they they follow them. And there is a universal hatred for those two teams amongst the rest of baseball. You need a villain. You need a villain almost as much as you need a hero. I need a hero! You need a bad guy. And Red Sox and Yankee fans must acknowledge the fact that they are the bad guys. They look like the Billy Zabkas, and thank goodness Billy Zabka's big again. You are the person that picks on everyone else. And so they want that. They want that badly. You know, people complained about all the attention put on the Red Sox and Yankees during the mid-2000s, but guess what? The TV ratings were through the roof. Interest was through the roof. And so they want to rekindle that. 
Partly because baseball has no idea how to market anything else. They have a defending world champion in the Astros filled with spectacular, exciting players. And they don't know how the hell to, manage, to, to market them. The best player on the planet is playing in Anaheim. They don't know what the hell to do with them. It's crazy. You know, it is kind of like that sense of, you know, uh, studios wanting to make superhero films because they're profitable and they're very easy to market. You like Spider-Man? Yeah, well, it's Spider-Man. Go see it. Not a lot of imagination has to be put where said, hey, you know, uh, we're doing an Avengers film. You know Marvel heroes? Yeah, well, they're all in it. They're all in it. Go see it. You know, so, you know, why are people get excited? You know, we got to get people excited about the Astros. We got to get people excited about, uh, you know, the, the Milwaukee Brewers. We got to get people excited about the this Atlanta Braves team. Oh, Jesus. Can we just say Red Sox Yankees? It's already built in. It's already built in. But I look at this Astros team and I said, I, I look at them as still the team to beat. And people are almost not willing to give them that credit. You know, they're playing at a spectacular level, and they can fill in the, you know, a team will unload a slugger. They need a slugger, a team will unload a slugger, and they'll need one more reliever, I think, down the stretch. And those types of players are going to be available. And if they pitch those two holes together, and you say, all right, you're going to have a, you know, best of five series with the likes of Verlander and Cole and Dallas Keuchel and, and Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers Jr., plus his deep bullpen, plus Altuve, plus Correa, plus everyone else on the team. I'm sorry, they'll beat the Yankees. They'll beat the Red Sox. I'll tell you who should be, people should be, American League teams should be crapping their pants, not only of the Astros, but of the Indians. And I'll tell you why. Because there's no pressure on this Indians team. None. Zero. Zilch. There's no pressure on this Indians team. I don't believe the Tigers are going to overtake them. And the Twins can't get out of their way. So while the Cleveland Indians are hardly playing like the world beaters that they were in the middle of their great uh, winning streak last year, and they have tremendous holes in their team, uh, especially because their bullpen is not nearly as reliable, even with all of that, they're on pace to win 88 games. A mild improvement, they're a 90-win team. I don't think there's a 500 team in the rest of the division. Which means they can coast into the postseason. Which also means they can line everything up. And Trevor Bowers has been pitching wonderfully. And Corey Kluber's having another Cy Young caliber season. And they can hit. I think they probably need one more hitter. And they probably need two more relievers. People are willing... There, there will be relievers out there. And when you have a team... They had all the, pre- you know, they try- once we away from winning the World Series in 2016, I thought they were going to win the World Series last year. They lost those last three games to the Yankees. I fervently believe that if they made it past the Yankees, they would have beaten the Astros, they would have beaten the Dodgers. And they have a chip on their shoulder a little bit, but they also don't have the pressure. No one's going to notice them. You know? It's very easy to see a situation where the Indians could knock off a team where in a division series where Kluber wins games one and five and Bauer wins game two. 
Now, if it's Houston versus Cleveland in the division series, that may be harder. Also, it'll probably be a spectacular series. But that being said, you know, I, I just look at the Astros and they're still the best. They're the best equipped. And I think the Indians are the ones who would scare me. And I just wonder if the Red Sox and the Yankees are two teams that are built to win 100 some odd games in the regular season kick the snot out of everybody, but then fall flat to a big-time contender. Now, I could be wrong. And the Yankees, to their credit, have played very, very well against the Astros and some of the other big contenders. I will give them tons of credit. I just think this Astros team is built to last, and I think this Indians team has nothing to lose, and that would scare me. I look at the Red Sox and Yankees as potential paper lions as the regular season team that everyone will forget about. I might be wrong. I just don't think I am. Now, I want to bring up something that came up um, on the Baseball Tonight podcast uh, uh, maybe last week or a few weeks ago, and, and, and at first I totally dismissed it. I didn't give it a second thought. But then I gave it a second thought, and a third, fourth, and fifth thoughts. And then I realized it's on my mind. It's poking at me like a raspberry seed stuck between my teeth. That there was the notion of limiting the number of pitchers to four in a nine-inning game. And my thought was, ah, blah, blah. I became the old man. I became Statler and Waldorf. Then I kept thinking about it. Why not? What's the real reason why not other than back in my day we, we played uh, with candy canes? I mean, what, what is the real reason? Now, you could say that one of the big problems of pace of play in baseball is all the pitching changes. And I'll tell you something that drives me crazy, drove me big time crazy when I would watch Yankee games that were managed by Joe Girardi, is any inning where it's two outs, nobody on, and a pitching change is made. That always drives me crazy. You are one out away from getting out of the sending and moving on. There's nobody on base. And, you know, statistically, unless you're facing Mike Trout, the pitcher is going to get the batter out. So why not give the pitcher a chance to get this batter? Nope, nope. I looked at the binder, this guy versus this guy, and boom. And there were a bunch of times... Girardi would take a guy who got two quick outs and they'd remove him. You see, two-thirds of an inning through four pitches. And then they bring in another guy. And then, of course, when we go into extra innings, they had to bring some poor schmuck out to pitch three or four extra innings because the other you know, effective pitcher only threw four pitches. And that does drive me crazy a little bit because it's like, when you trust that pitcher, there's two outs and nobody on. Why are you, you, know, why, why are you going to the book now? And yes, the, the, the parade of relief pitchers can be a bit annoying. Not because of my day, they went, nah, I don't care about your day. But there's also like, can you trust this pitcher? Can you give this pitcher a chance? And then I started thinking about the four pitcher limit. And I'll be damned if it didn't start making sense. Now, in my opinion, it only makes sense in the American League. It only makes sense in the American League because of the designated hitter. Well, Sally, if there was a universal DH, shut up. Because of the DH, 
you can manage the pitching staff completely independently from the batting order. There may be a situation early in the game, midpoint in the game, where in the National League, when you have the pitchers batting, when bringing up a pinch hitter may be the smart thing to do. You may say, this might be our only chance to have a big inning and to lift a pitcher relatively early. And to say, but I only have four pitchers to use, I think that would go against, I think that would be an unfair shackling on the manager. But not in the American League. With the DH, they're separate worlds. They're parallel tracks that will not intertwine. So I thought, well, why not? And you make your announcement for the game. Here are our four pitchers. Here are the four who are available. And if you go into extra innings, you then, you know, then the shackles are off. Now, of course, under Sully rules, there's a tie after 12. You play, you know, you can go into the 12th, but after the 12th inning, it's a tie. We're moving on. Part of that is to prevent a situation like some of those Joe Girardi games that I mentioned where you have some poor guy who wasn't expecting to come out, pitch six innings out of the bullpen. And you use some other guy for only four pitches in the sixth inning. And I thought, wouldn't that be an interesting way to line up your team? Now when they announce the steal, you announce your starting pitcher, but okay, but that starting pitcher may be gone in the fifth or sixth inning. Or say, here are the four we're going to use. And you could say, it's a rest day for you. You know, it's a, we're going to try you out in this situation. And you see, when you see the probables, you say, here are the four who are available. The four, the four probable pitchers. Now, of course, they have to be, you know, it's not official to the hand the lineup card, you know, at the beginning of the game. But you sort of say, okay, here are the four. And then you start thinking, all right, when do I use that bullet? When do I use that bullet? If I have, now, of course, if you have a starting pitcher who's what, pitching the sixth, seventh, he's going to the eighth inning, you could try to push it and say, okay, then you can make a bunch of pitching changes in the last few innings. That's fine. Or you could wind up only using one or two pitchers, and that's fine too. But you go in and you sort of say, all right, I only have this many bullets to use. I have only this many chances to pull the pitcher and bring in someone new. And if you have to pull him out early, then you have to say, oh man, this guy's got to go three or four innings now. It adds another element of strategy, and it also adds an element of it's not going to be a parade. We've seen some low-scoring games, two-to-one games, where the the pitcher line in the box score looks like a spring training game because no one throws more than an inning. This would force you to say, I got to trust you to get this guy out. I got to trust you to stretch you out for two innings because I need you to throw these two innings for me. And it picks up the, you know, are you going to pull this guy? No, because I we're only in the six and I only have two other pitchers at that point. You got to get through this. You got us into this mess. You got to get us out. And you're forcing the manager to say to not have the quick trigger finger. Is that baseball? Is the DH baseball? But we adapted to the DH. I like the fact that there's a league without the DH. So you can, if you like the DH, you can watch this. If you don't like the DH, you can watch that. But if you go on and say, all right, hey, hey. You've got four pitchers to use in nine innings. 
Use them wisely. Don't just yank them out at the first sign of terror. And maybe, just maybe, that adds a little bit of excitement to the game. You feel like, who's available? Oh, they're not using him today. Why? Because he pitched the last two days. Okay. Well, then guess what? You, you know, this other reliever who's on the earth, you see the relievers, kind of, we haven't used him for a few days. We've got to put him in the rotation for today. And you got to say, hey, you got to give us some innings. You got to get us some outs. You got to get us four or five outs because, you know, if you get bombed, it's going to hurt us. And the more I thought of it, the more I thought, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that in terms of strategy. I have no problem with that in terms of the pace of the play. Imagine if you have an inning go, you know what? Unless it's a catastrophe, we're not going to have the walk up, the point of the bullpen, the guy come run out, the guy go through it, ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da. And we're going to see more instances of, all right, this reliever's in trouble. He's going to have to get out of this, which may, God forbid, lead to more action. I'm in a place of innovation right now, the Silicon Valley. Forward thinking, new thinking, new innovation, all this stuff. And maybe there's got to be some new innovation that has to take place with baseball. Maybe, just maybe, if you walk around and say, hey, we're going to handle the rosters differently. We're going to handle how we do pitches differently. Maybe that will add a level of excitement that we haven't seen. Maybe it'll be different. Maybe it'll be a something you throw away. But do you know what? We're limiting mound visits. We're doing other little things. This could be a thing that is interesting for the fans and speeds up the game and forces pitchers to be more than someone who throws more than six pitches and then goes takes a shower. I'm open-minded to it. I love baseball tradition, but I'm also open for innovation. Let's see how it works. Give it a shot. If it doesn't work, we go back. That's how innovation works. Some innovations don't work, but you gave it a shot. And maybe it will lead to something that works. So keep an open mind. It's still going to be baseball. It may be even more fun. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Trevor, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You can be old school. Send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been Sully Baseball for the 21st day of June, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Do you know what you can do? You can call me Sully.